0: Who do they say that the Son of Man is? Well, the first answer to even begin understanding this comes from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, uh, which falls in the apocalyptic genre in the books of the Bible, like like Ezekiel or or Revelation, right? Apocalyptic is not to be confused with the obsession of our culture for the past few decades, uh, where a massive swath of our entertainment falls into the post-apocalyptic genre. Right? I think it's easy to see why we love the post apocalyptic dystopia. Movies help the medicine go down, and our times have some bitter tonic to swallow. We see zombies, figuratively, all around us vacant stairs and mass transit systems, children losing all consciousness, and the consumptive obsession of tapping on a screen. The value of human beings being equated to what they can produce for the free market. It's a caricature of us, the zombie is. Our own kind lost. Our own selves reduced to meat. We see the world ruled by robots in the post-apocalyptic. thats code for a mechanization of a society where human labor has become beneath us and eradicated as far as possible. That despite of our advances, or perhaps driven by them, we really are unable to stop war with one another or our poisoning of the earth and are driven by expansion and increase, and that we can't help ourselves. And so a machine decides that for our own good, it will rule us. We know, in our reality, that ocean levels are rising and that thousands of square miles of dead zones are forming in them due to agricultural pollution runoff and because we dump about 8 million tons of plastic into the oceans every year. So, we cinematically envision the catastrophe we see coming. The earth turned into a desert or a frozen wasteland. The archetypal flood returns. And perhaps a remnant will remain this time, too. We sit at these movies with our gallon of soda and bag of hydrogenated butter-flavored oil with popcorn mixed in and watch ourselves pitched into chaos and destroyed by terrorists, aliens, animals, asteroids, dirty bombs, plagues, and sharknados. C'est la vie. It goes down, the medicine. And here ends the lesson in the scripture of our living rooms. Now when we talk about the scripture of Jewish times, It doesn't depict life after cataclysm, but life during it. It stems from this worldview that that believes that everything that happens here on earth represents and correlates with a larger heavenly struggle between good and evil. So it takes current events and gives them cosmic significance and anticipates future events on earth in light of the coming battle between the forces of God and the forces of the devil. It is not, when you hear apocalyptic texts, it is not, as some assume, looking into a crystal ball for some sort of future. It's trying to make sense of what's going on now in the world at the time. And it's revealing, that's what apocalypse means, revealing, revealing who is on what side. Who is the son of man? In the book of Daniel, Four beasts come up from the sea. The sea is the heart of chaos and destruction. All monsters come from the sea. And these beasts were monstrous creatures, half lions, half eagles, bears with three tusks, four-headed lions with wings, beasts with iron teeth and ten horns. And the horns have eyes and mouths on them, and they're ravenous. It's all of the grisly ingredients to make a summer blockbuster before there was one. Daniel, though, is written in a time of Jewish captivity by a captive people. Like our movies, these translations are easy to see. The beasts are the empires which hold them captive, characteristically defined by how the empire consumes all it sees its growth unstoppable, its appetite of an unfathomable proportion. But then Daniel sees a vision. The Son of Man comes and approaches the throne of the Ancient One. A frail human being steps forward with the usual number of eyes and a set of normal decay-prone teeth and not even one horn. The Son of Man is the one to inherit these beast kingdoms. What are they saying about the Son of Man, Jesus asks his disciples. He has taken on this title. Jesus had brought all of them to Caesarea Philippi, and there's a temple there. It's carved out of the rocky mountainside. Caesarea Philippi had just had its name changed from Panaeus. It was a temple of the pagan god Pan, whose image remained all around. Now there were more inscriptions. Caesar, Lord, Son of God, Savior, etched in stone all around them. Who do you say that I am? Jesus asks. And the disciples look up. To see Daniel's vision around them. The bust of a man who believes himself to be God, the beast, and then the human form of Jesus. Peter stands for all of the disciples and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It's a famous moment, the confession of Peter, but this is not a moment of Peter being saved by a confession of the faith. It's not important here in the fact that he's not going to follow up with God from God, light from light, true God from true God, a theologically orthodox, intellectual, complete understanding of the nature of Jesus. It's important because he looks around him and declares the gods he sees, Caesar, the son of God. As dead. You are the Son of the living God. It's clear, actually, that Peter is still confused about what Jesus is like. Peter here famously is handed the keys to the kingdom. It's yours, Jesus says. Take it out for a spin. Peter does, and he doesn't even make it a block before wrecking the thing. Apparently, Peter really takes to this power that he's given. He gets a little drunk on it, this ability to loose and to bind whatever is in earth and on heaven. And Peter is rebuked by Jesus for telling them when Jesus tells them that that the Messiah must suffer and die. Jesus calls him Satan. So much for the rock. Spoiler alert for next week. Brian McLaren writes... That, like most of his countrymen, Peter knows with unquestioned certainty that God will send a Messiah to lead an armed uprising to defeat and expel the occupying Roman regime and all who collaborate with it. But no, Jesus says, that way of thinking is satanic, the opposite of God's plan. Violence cannot defeat violence. Hate cannot defeat hate. Fear cannot defeat fear. Domination cannot defeat dominations. God's way is different. God must achieve victory through defeat, glory through shame, strength through weakness, leadership through servanthood, and life through death. It's like Jesus says, so you believe in God? Great. But what kind of God is it that you believe in? What are you going to do with this belief? If we are to have any meaningful faith of our own, we must ask ourselves the same questions. What kind of God is it that you believe in? If you didn't believe, would your life change at all beyond the way you spend an hour on Sunday morning? Because we too travel to this place with the disciples and we look around. What does empire look like now? It's not like ancient Rome. The emperor might just have new clothes. They really are better at being invisible now for what it's worth. Forces around us naming our human worth as net worth. Dictating our place and future in the world leading us into the mindless consumption that is empire's leading characteristic. What would it look like if we rejected this bitter tonic? For what it's worth, this is not a point about watching movies. The person I love and respect most in the world goes to plenty of movies, and I wouldn't change it for the world. That's not what I'm getting at. My my own, I may not need to go to movies because my own imagination functions just fine in extrapolating the data, and I don't want this sort of medicine to go down. Caesar isn't saving anyone, but we are all here in church. We go to here not just because we can all say a creed in unison, Jesus is Lord, yes, but because we are are in need of an old story that is still being told. It's a story meant to raise us from the unseen systems, even if for a minute. It's a story meant to give us a new and beating heart. We are meant to become children of the living God, too.